Welcome to everyone to episode 10, season one of our Superior Sales Disruption Podcast, which is brought to you by our media partner, Retail World, Australia's premier publication for the grocery and FMCG industry. As will be the case throughout, I am joined by my comrade, Mr. Mark Trulson from down in Melbourne. Uh, how are you today, Mark? I'm fantastic, Jane. I've just spent the weekend in Sin City up in Sydney, so I'm really looking forward to our interview with Jeff. Uh, you know, seeing his unparalleled experience with the ever-present Petrol Convenience Channel, I'm sure this is going to enthrall our listeners. Yeah, mate, uh, Jeff is someone that uh, has really um, championed uh, the convenience movement here in Australia. He's led acts uh, at the forefront uh, uh, for for the last eight years, and he's done an amazing job. And uh, um, look, really looking forward to hearing his thoughts on on the future for the FMCG and or for the petrol convenience space in food and beverage. So without further ado, Jeff Rogan. Well, good morning. It gives me great pleasure today to uh, introduce uh, Mr. Jeff Rogert. Uh, Jeff is the CEO for the Australian Association of Convenience Stores, well known to the industry as Axe. Good morning, Jeff. How are you today? Good morning. Well, Jamie, uh, good to be with you this morning. Fantastic. And uh, we've also got our uh, remote hero, uh, and actually both the guys are in Melbourne today. But Mark, uh, how are you today, buddy? Uh, sensational, mate. It's good to see that uh, there's more people in Melbourne than Sydney today on, on this uh, podcast. I'm uh, really looking forward to this uh, chat with Jeff. And, and I think uh, to, to start off, Jeff, uh, where we normally like to begin is at the beginning of the story. So could you tell the listeners where you grew up and uh, potentially where you went to school? Yeah, sure. Um, look, I have a, a, an interesting background. Um, I originally um, am from South Africa. Um, I was born in South Africa. Um, went to school there, completed uh, national service there, as everybody has to. And I guess that was a really interesting experience for me um, you know, as an 18-year-old, where you, you don't have a lot of life experience, and suddenly you're thrust into this totally new environment where, um, and I was fortunate that I went to an officer's training school, where suddenly you're commanding quite a number of young guys your age. And it's a, a very quick wake-up call in terms of the world of leadership and being able to get on with a, a very diverse group. So that was sort of the early background of uh, where I started. Um, went straight into retail after finishing that. Um, I elected not to go to university at that point. Um, and retail for me had a, had a fascination. In my yeah, days in primary school, I had an uncle, as I think everybody has a, a unique uncle somewhere, and he was a pharmacist. Um, he was quite a visionary, actually. And I was actually in primary school, and the highlight of my holidays was actually working in the pharmacy. And I think that gave me a taste for uh, customers, for uh, being able to interact with people, even at that very, very young age. So once I completed uh, military service, um, as I say, after uh, nine months, I, I went straight into retail, and was able to get a trainee buyership with uh, a very large retailer in South Africa. And that set me on the path uh, to the world of retail, where I've remained in, in different forms ever since. Mate, uh, that's a, a very uh, an early start to the retail space. What, what, um, uh, who did you work for uh, when you said you went into retail uh, after uh, the military? Who were you working for over there? There was a company called the RK Bazaars. I understand in recent years they've been acquired by another company, but they were um, a sort of a, a discount department type store. Um, they covered the country. Um, not dissimilar, I guess, in terms of, of history and background to the Maya group, but a slightly different uh, format in terms of, uh, of product range and the type of stores that they were. Yeah. I spent a number of years there. I worked from the, the shop floor and um, yeah, went into the buying office. And to me, suddenly a new world of, of negotiation, of uh, being able to actually travel and see the world through um, working in retail uh, was something that I picked up very early. And I think that's an opportunity even today. People you know, don't realise that retail offers just so many diverse career paths rather than being stuck in one channel and picked up on it. And it's been very kind to me, I guess, over the, the many years that I've worked in retail. 
So, Jeff, um, a, a number of our, a number of people on the podcast that we've had have talked about a purpose that has sort of guided them through either at the start of their journey or they discover their purpose as they go forward. Have you had a purpose that has guided you and uh, was that there at the start or have you sort of acquired it more as you've gone through your career? It's something I think I've inquired, uh, Mark, over the years. Um, yes, you start off with some direction. The one thing that became very clear to me um, in the early days of working um, yeah, in the early days in South Africa, and certainly when I was fortunate enough to be brought out to Australia, in fact, by the Maya Group um, in 1977, what became very clear to me uh, even then was that a career, uh, be it in retail, isn't a straight trajectory. Uh, a career is almost a zigzag path. And each time that you're involved in a situation or working uh, for a company or with a diverse group of people, you acquire more knowledge. And that then is almost like a, a bit of rocket fuel and it just boosts you sort of to the next stage. So yeah. to me, I, I, you know, I'd be lying if I said there was one overriding uh, objective that I've always had, uh, but certainly the, um, the desire, I guess, to be, and I'll use the words of a, a lecturer whose course I attended, a number of years back, um, and he used the phrase, the best imaginable. You know, how do you become the person um, that offers the best imaginable, be it customer service, work ethic, uh, example to others, mentoring, whatever it happens to be? And that has always been my goal, is to be the best. Yes, I may not always get there, uh, but at least you're striving for excellence. And that's always been very important, um, both in my work, work career, and from a personal point of view as well. Uh, Jeff, we can certainly uh, all relate to that, um, particularly uh, with our podcast. Uh, uh, Mark and I uh, um, have had numerous discussions with, um, with our guests where they've spoken clearly about what you just mentioned about the sideway movement. Uh, um, there's no true you know, um, you know, straight up path or one path, um, you know, from starting in sales to getting to a sales director level. There are so many different cross functions and cross channels that really over, give you a better overall grounding to to be able to make a difference to the business. Um, you know, we, we interviewed uh, uh, Esme Borgelt from uh, from Kellogg's uh, uh, just recently where, you know, she uh, was in the sales capacity, started as a sales rep, but then, you know, a few years later was in charge of uh, logistics and, and transport and dealing with that. And uh, uh, it gives you a really good, uh, a really good overview. And uh, it sounds like that certainly has helped you along that career path and you would see a lot of that as well Jeff um, with a lot of the m managers that you deal with in the in the food confectionery beverage you know tel telco space how they've changed there in the eight years that you've been with Axe it's it's you know can you any stories there that you can share look it has changed dramatically Jamie and I'll just reflect on what you've just said there's other two words I guess that have also been important uh, as I've looked back and as I still tend to look forward, and that's both timing and opportunity. Um, one has to look at the opportunities that arise, and some of them yeah, are good and you grasp them, and also the timing of those opportunities. Some come too early, and unfortunately, in some cases, they come too late. So you have to be acutely aware of where you are in your own space, and just looking at those two factors, uh, be it again from a, a career point of view or from a personal point of view. In terms of the way the industry's changed, uh, I have to say it's changed dramatically, uh, particularly in the uh, convenience space over the almost 30 years, I guess, that I've been involved to some degree within convenience. We'll get to some of those, Jeff. So uh, I definitely don't want to okay. steal the limelight on the changes to the PNC channel. But really, what what were the key turning points, though, for you? Um, you know, and it sounds like so coming out from South Africa, and when you came to Australia, where did you work, and and what 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 was the your charter, and and what were you in charge of when you when you were here in the petrol petrol game? Yeah, yeah. Well, I wasn't actually in the petrol game back then. So when I arrived, I was actually fortunate enough to have been reading the Sunday papers one day and the Maya group was advertising for buyers and uh, obviously that was my passion. Um, I applied for a position and was fortunate enough within about six months 
of applying going through the, the process to have been brought out by the Maya group. And that was um, in the role of a buyer for Target. So I worked for Target based down in Geelong for a number of years. And I have to say that that has been um, a major turning point for me, uh, both from a personal and a career point of view, was taking that opportunity. Uh, my wife and I, we'd only been married a short period of time, um, knew nobody in the country, but we saw the opportunity. Australia was a country that we always had aspiration, if not to live in, uh, certainly to visit. And we sort of coalesced and came together at that point. Um, and that for me has been you know, an incredible turning point because since then, um, yeah, obviously numerous things have happened. So yes, I was a, a buyer for Target down in Geelong, um, a terrific group of people. This was in the 70s. Target was really screaming ahead, um, was known for its quality, was known for you know, its high um, degree of quality around fashion. In, uh, kids' clothing. I was actually in the hard goods area and spent a lot of time overseas with them developing sort of new products and new ranges. So a, a terrific opportunity. And then from uh, there, Jeff, uh, where, did, where were the sort of first opportunities that you had in the, the petrol convenience game? Look, they came a number of years later. Um, I'd worked for companies such as um, uh, McEwen's in the hardware after leaving Target. We we're living in Geelong and decided to move to Melbourne and look for other opportunities. So I worked for a couple of companies such as uh, uh, Venture Stores when they were around and also McEwan's, the very well-established um, hardware chain that existed before they were acquired by um, uh, Bunnings way back in the, the sort of 80s. At that period of time as well, um, a 7-Eleven store around the corner from where we were living came up for sale. And I knew the owner quite well, we were chatting one day, and having travelled overseas and seen what was happening with convenience, um, I thought this is a good opportunity, uh, A, to get out of the corporate world for a while, and also to try this thing called convenience. Uh, bear in mind, the very first 7-Eleven store only opened in the country back in 1977. So in the 80s, convenience was still in its embryonic stage. So in the late 80s, I actually took on... 7-Eleven store. Uh, my wife and I ran that as a franchise. And that gave me the hands-on experience and the knowledge uh, about what convenience actually started to mean. Um, uh, and that was a terrific springboard into the industry. Yeah, 7-Eleven uh, was a, uh, um, a good one. Uh, me and Mark were actually having a bit of a debate about that one, Jeff, beforehand. So, uh, Mark, I've got to apologise, mate. You, uh, you are right that uh, uh, that, was, uh, that was where Jeff started and uh, uh, I'm pretty sure you may have even... Uh, uh, did you deal with Jeff at any stage uh, when he was uh, at, at, at 7-Eleven or moving on to Shell? Uh, I, I can recall... I can recall a couple moments at Shell in particular. So I'm not sure if you remember that, Jeff, but I remember it quite fondly. So uh, yes, I do, Mark. <laughs> yeah, I was talking. Yeah, interesting uh, times. Uh, yeah. yeah, they they were, and uh, and uh, it probably then leads us to you know um, you know in terms of it sound like some really good highlights, Jeff. Is there any career lowlights that you know that sort of come to mind? It's amazing how you know at the time that those those challenges and those brick walls are put up. Uh, we don't see it, but there's actually some good that may come out of that. And is there any stories you've got that you can share with, uh, you know, where you, at the time it felt like a really big, you know, uh, a big challenge and a big roadblock in your life or, or and, you know, how's it, how'd you overcome that? Yeah, look, from a career point of view, in all honesty, um, Jamie and Mark, I can't say I've had a, a low light. Um, everybody obviously, uh, you know, has an off day and you think, oh, there's got to be more to life uh, than, than, than just this. But every day I, I, you know, wake up with renewed passion. I enjoy what I do um, and always have. And it's never been a chore. I've always been amazed at people that, you know, hang up for Friday afternoon uh, because it's the weekend and idea I've got to go back to work. Um, that's never been a feature of my career. I can honestly say that. And even today, um, you know, our business is a seven-day business, 365 days a year. And you know, I, I tend to take that same attitude. 
the thing that did um, affect me to some degree, um, and this was not from a career point of view, even though it could have impacted on my career. Back in 2007, I was diagnosed with um, non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Uh, I was fit, I was playing B-grade tennis, uh, never smoked, never drank, um, you know, lived a, a, a normal sort of lifestyle. And you know, one day, not feeling too good, went to the doctor, and that was the diagnosis. So that you know, resulted in six months of sort of fairly intensive chemotherapy, um, you know, injections into the spine, blood transfusions, a whole heap of things that came out of nowhere. I was working at that point. Um, I took some time out of the, uh, the retail industry. I was heading up the Centre for Retail Studies at Monash University. Um, and they were to, yeah, very, very supportive. But from my own point of view, I used to go to the chemotherapy session. Uh, yes, it was very debilitating. But the next day, I was back at work. Um, I, yeah, some days I couldn't work whole day, um, sort of left in the afternoon. Uh, obviously, the uni was, uh, was very accepting of that. But I was determined not to let something like that beat me. And quite frankly, after six months and after being in remission now for, thank goodness, for 12, 13 odd years, I guess once you've gone through that experience, um, nothing phases you. You have no fear. Um, you look at life totally differently. So to me, if I look back over the last 30 or something years, that has been the biggest challenge that I've had. Um, but it was one that I was not, in my capability anyway, was prepared to let beat me. You've got to listen to the professionals. I mean, anybody that's been through a situation like that, um, you know, you look at, uh, at alternative ways of, of overcoming it. To me, it was saying I've got excellent um, uh, people around me. I take their advice, do what they want, and it certainly assisted me in overcoming all of that. So that was probably the biggest challenge that I've had uh, personally throughout my career. From an actual work point of view, um, each day has been terrific. Yeah, mate. So, I mean, it's... It, it... Sorry, Mark, I was just going to touch on uh, very briefly that uh, uh, I understand that journey that Jeff went on there and um, uh, my auntie, uh, Auntie Rose, who was, uh, Mark, you knew Auntie Rose, who I was very close with. Uh, Mark, um, sorry, Jeff, we saw her go through exactly uh, exactly the same chemo six months uh, that you just, have just described to everyone. Uh, mm. Very lone, lonely and very difficult journey uh, in in two thousand and three, and uh, and she got the old bill of, you know clear bill of health, but unfortunately uh, uh, we did actually lose her to Hodgkin lymphoma uh, in two thousand and fifteen, and it was a pretty, uh, pretty pretty sad way to see it all come to an end. So you know these are personal challenges in our lives that really do really rebuild and make us look at things very differently. I'm sure that you looked at life very differently, Jeff, after that six months uh, of, of, of what, what was life for you going to be. Sorry about that, Mark. Just wanted to just share that one with the listeners. Yeah. No, thanks, Jim. You know, you're spot on. Jeff, obviously, uh, you know, a massive personal um, challenge that you're facing, and you're also, you know, at that sort of time, you know, moving through the, you know, the ranks in a petrol convenience sense, that sort of led to your ascension to the CEO of Axe. Can you tell us a, a bit about that period? Yeah, look, that, that was a really interesting period. I'd um, yeah, overcome all of that. I was working back in retail. I was assisting um, uh, an ex-colleague of mine who was heading up uh, Foodworks at that point. And I received a call from somebody at Axe saying, look, the CEO has just left. And we think based on your experience, um, you know, you might be suited to this come and have a chat. And I said, yeah, absolutely. I was always very passionate, uh, obviously, about convenience. So we had that chat, and that was um, at the beginning of 2011, and I joined Axe as CEO in 2011. So I think this is about my anniversary month, I think, uh, being May, um, for about eight years now. And you alluded to uh, some of the, the, the sort of the challenges the industry was facing and some of the big disruptions that have occurred. Can can you sort of uh, let the listeners um, sort of understand, you know, the disruptions that have taken place in petrol convenience and, and what you see as some of the big opportunities? Look, over the years, the industry 
has changed quite markedly. We have some very, very smart retailers. Um, not always the biggest um, are, are the most innovative. There are some smaller groups, in fact, that invest in their groups and actually have raised the benchmark quite dramatically. Um, but in terms of the industry itself, we've gone through the stage, for example, of uh, the growth of the communications category, where that came from absolutely nowhere to being a category worth around $600 million a year. And the industry was riding really high on that. It was our third biggest category. But as with all things, technology has caught up, alternative choices have caught up, and year on year, that category is now in decline in double-digit figures. Nothing to do with you know, bad retailing um, or suppliers that don't have the product, but consumers have changed dramatically where technology means they don't actually have to go into a convenience store to buy a recharge card or to buy a calling card. So retailers have had to wake up quite quickly to that sort of disruption. From a positive point of view, however, um, retailers have seen what's happened overseas. We do an overseas study tour every year. Uh, obviously, retailers travel on their own as well. And they've seen the trends. They've seen the trend particularly around food and beverage. And I've been known to say at many of our uh, meetings and get-togethers that food is the future of the convenience business. And that's absolutely true uh, today as it was six or seven years ago. So four, five, six years ago, you would not have gone to a convenience store to buy a good cup of coffee. That has changed dramatically, where now we are a destination for coffee. You know, one of the chains changed the market by bringing out dollar coffee. Some said, oh, that's crazy. It's devaluing the product. But what it did do, it was sent a very clear message to consumers that if you come to a convenience store, you can get a very good quality cup of coffee. But not only that, you can buy the sandwich, the donut, the cake, the pie, whatever else it is. And you can come back again for a very good value type offer. So that has changed the dynamic totally within convenience. And now you see that most of the major chains are playing in that space. And if you look at the uh, report we've just brought out, 2018 State of the Industry Report, food and beverage is where the growth is happening within convenience. Having said that, though, one of the biggest categories remains tobacco. Tobacco is still a legal category. People choose to buy tobacco from us. Typically, that represents about 39% of a typical store sales, over $3.5 billion. So despite all of the work that's being done around other categories, that category still is the backbone of the industry. And if you look around globally at convenience stores, in the US, they're an industry of somewhere around $240 billion. Tobacco is still about 38% of sales. So there's a lot of disruption happening in areas around the store, but the fundamentals remain very much the same as they have been for the last number of years. Jeff, I'm, I'm really fascinated by um, you know, the emergence of petrol convenience and, and how it has been part of our life. Now, you talked about some of the disruptions that I would sort of say has been sort of industry-led. What about from a manufacturer-led? You know, if you look at some of the traditional, you know, segments such as uh, soft drinks and confectionery, what have those sort of manufacturers been doing to assist in the development of petrol convenience? Look, that's a really interesting question, Mark, and one that's always been a bugbear of mine is the real lack of innovation for petrol and convenience. Um, over recent years, as discounting by the major supermarkets has come to the forefront, a lot of manufacturers, unfortunately, have um, directed a lot of their resource, financial and otherwise, to that part of uh, retail, and to some degree ignored convenience. I think a lot of the innovation has actually come from the retailers themselves, trying to drag a lot of manufacturers to the table. There's certain categories that year on year have gone backwards. And if you look at why, there is just nothing that's innovative or that's caught the eye um, 
or the appetite of the consumer. So I, I think it's really disappointing, quite frankly, uh, with the lack of innovation that we've seen by some of the major companies for the convenience channel. Because I, th I think it is sort of fascinating that, you know, often, you know, if you're at, you know, at, at one of the big manufacturers, 90% of the conversation is what Coles and Woolies are doing, yet a lot of the growth, as you pointed out, has been in petrol convenience. And if you look at that part, you know, there isn't really a lot of difference, you know, to the fridge layout or the shelf layout. You know, what is it that you could see these manufacturers doing to help uh, the, the petrol convenience channel to bring innovation to the table? Look, I think they need to understand convenience. Many of them don't understand what convenience really is about. I also think that the way that their uh, staffing structure is, is worked is that many of the, the representatives, key account managers, whatever the terminology is, see convenience as a training ground until they get their real job which is probably in grocery. I think that there's a lot of education that needs to happen with major retailers and with, apologies, with major manufacturers and the younger people coming through that you can make a career within the convenience channel. That churn of people just doesn't allow for uh, relationships to be built, to be able to actually work on category plans for the longer term rather than just the short-term deal and promotion. We're seeing promotional fatigue happening within the industry. Uh, consumers are not uh, necessarily reacting to the same degree because it's the same product, the same promotion, regurgitated week after week, month after month. So there needs to be a shake-up, certainly within manufacturers, to approach the convenience channel somewhat differently to the way that they have done it and the way to, the, that many of them are actually doing it today. There's a huge opportunity. We're an $8.6 billion industry. Sure, tobacco, as I mentioned, is about $3 billion, but there's still $5 billion worth of business to be gotten out of the channel, and it is the way of the future. Again, if you look globally, and we, as I mentioned earlier on, we do travel right around Southeast Asia, Europe, uh, the Americas. Convenience is the way of retailing going forward. It's about smaller baskets more often. So the opportunity is there. There's certainly the will from retailers to look at new and innovative products, but they can't do it on their own. I would agree totally, Jeff. Um, obviously, uh, working within the field marketing space for nearly 20 years, um, innovation, if I was to go back 15, 10, 15 years ago, we were constantly being asked to, uh, and as, as you know, Jeff, we, we specialised in the petrol convenience uh, uh, and the route space that um, um, we were getting approaches again, yeah, one, one or two a month. And, you know, I can honestly say that uh, innovation has definitely fallen behind specifically for that area. And, and more importantly, it is being seen as the uh, the training ground or or the um, you know the the stepping stone process for the the young up and comers uh, in the in the manufacturer's space. So, um, I wanted to just uh, turn the turn the table a little bit there, Jeff, and mate, want to want to ask you a little bit about mentors. Mentors is a an interesting discussion that we have with our guests, and uh, you know, you know, what mentors have you? you have you had along the way and more importantly you know what 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 have they done and is, and is there anything that can you know you can share with the listeners that you know you still resonates with you today look it is an interesting one uh, today i in fact do a lot of mentoring it is something uh that i believe in it's a way that i can give back uh i know it sounds pretty twee but it's it's the way that i can give back to people that either are young in terms of either years or experience and it gives me the opportunity of just giving them the benefit of my experience, whether they choose to listen to use it is entirely up to them. But certainly I am approached very often for that. And I do give uh, very generously of my time. And I'm always very happy to do that. In terms of my own career path, I guess if I go back to my, my very first um, uh, job or one of the early jobs that I had, um, one of the managers were in a training program and he gave each one of the participants, I know it sounds quite corny, 
the Dale Carnegie's book, How, How to Win Friends and Influence People. And I guess we we're all you know, pretty young in our you know, late teens, early 20s. Um, and it made quite an impression on me back then. You know, not every point, not every um, uh, sentence out of that book, obviously, is something that you live by. But there were a number of things that still resonate in terms of the way that you actually interact with people, being interested in people, uh, um, you know, having a sense of humour, being pleasant, smiling. Uh, not that that's always appropriate, but certainly that, that sort of approach. You know, listening to people. And one of the most important ones that I, I took away from that at the very early stages was the word respect. I think, uh, you know, if we look at what's happening in society nowadays, uh, you look at the crime, you look at the gangs, uh, there's just a lack of respect for police, for authority, uh, and even for parents. And I think that's socially and even from a business point of view, I think the word respect certainly can come back into, into play quite, uh, quite solidly. So that was one of the, the very early learnings. I had worked with some, you know, some good managers over time. Uh, you learn from the good, you also learn from the bad. Uh, in terms of the things, sort of not to do. Absolutely. Um, and there's a few of those. There's a few of those around. And working in big uh, organisations, there are some really big egos. And at the end of the day, yeah, as I said to many of those people, even when I was a buyer, yeah, as a as a buyer, you have many buyers that get a an overinflated sense of ego. And as I used to say from my own point of view, and even to them, I said, guys, if you or I die tomorrow, there'd be very few of these people at our funerals. You need to remember that you know, it's about a relationship. It's about doing the best you can for your organization, but also being you know, human about it. Uh, um, and, and that sense of earth, uh, being down to earth uh, and not being, um, using an ego to, to an extreme degree. I think that's, that's really important. Um, in other senses, as I touched on very early on, one of the you know, the two words from a, a four-day uh, session that I was involved in was the two words of best imaginable. I think it was a lecture Dr. Peter Wilton uh, from one of the universities ran the session. And you know, th that resonated with me as well, just in terms of saying, how do you set yourself up, whether it's your business, whether it's the way you interact with people, whether it's the service you give, how do you offer the best imaginable whatever it is? And I think if you take that sort of approach as well, rather than just doing what you need to do or just being mediocre, um, it certainly can set you apart. There was also a really interesting one, and only you know, very current uh, uh, program that I watched. It was on Japanese television, and it was a Japanese professor that had just won uh, the Nobel Prize for chemistry. And they asked him, you know, what are some of the credos that you live by? And the thing that he said also resonated, and this I think is an opportunity, you know, still for businesses and even manufacturers that we were just talking about. And it said, rather than being the number one, be the only one. And that's the difference between, you know, being four or five different brands of confectionery, soft drinks, snack fruits, everybody, you know, looking for that market share in the same pool, rather than being out of all of that, and developing something new and innovative that has appeal for consumers. So being the only one that has that gives you that unique advantage. And I don't think too many people are thinking around uh, that sort of concept nowadays. I really love that sentiment. Uh, there's a book uh, written by Bill Taylor called Simply Brilliant that goes into that, you know, be the only one. And I think it's a, it's a really good guide for, for companies and brands. So just thinking about that, Jeff, you know, what are some of the biggest challenges that you find facing, you know, FMCG businesses today? In our area, um, it, it's, you know, we have really good traffic crossing our doorstep. Uh, yeah, fuel, the full court is still a major driver for our business. Um, supply chain and logistics, I think, certainly is one, uh, given the, obviously, the size of the country, smaller stores, the fragmentation. Um, uh, of supply chain. I think certainly without doubt that is one of the challenges that most retailers certainly have and are constantly looking you know, at various solutions. Um, the churn within staff, um, again, 
Brighton, we have a very high turnover of people in the stores, just given the nature of the business. So franchisees or store owners or operators are constantly in training mode with new people coming through and forming that relationship with consumers so that when they walk in or customers and they feel as though they know the people behind the counter, they can greet them, they can talk to them. You tend to lose some of that if you are constantly turning over your, your staff. The other challenges that we have, and I guess it's not only ourselves, it's other retailers as well, but certainly things such as uh, government regulation and red tape. So as an example, you know, we're one of the few countries where a convenience store is unable to sell beer or wine. If you go to the States, as an example, it's about 12% of a typical store sales. And yet because of you know, old regulation that basically says, where you sell petrol, you can't sell alcohol, we are excluded from that market. And that is something we're working on quite actively. Um, obviously there's just been an election, so federally we will be again lobbying politicians, and we certainly do so at a state level as well. Um, the issue of, um, and this is a societal issue, but it certainly impacts our business as it does many others, and that's the increased aggression that we're seeing amongst either consumers who are actively consumers or people that are just coming into stores. Uh, they're increasingly aggressive with staff, um, becoming more violent, um, and that is a real issue and a concern for anybody in retail, be it a, you know, a discount department store with a young you know, school kid out the front who's supposedly the security person to somebody who's a trained operator behind a counter. So certainly that is an issue as well. And then you have yeah, government not listening. Um, if you look at something like tobacco, uh, the price has gone up every year and continues to go up. And yet that suddenly takes a very ordinary product and makes it a huge target for robberies. And again, there's a robbery, there's trauma inflicted on staff, some of them just don't come back to work at all. So it's getting an understanding amongst government and the regulators what some of the unintended consequences of their decisions are on people down the line. Now, uh, we've talked uh, a lot about challenges. What about uh, some examples of companies, Jeff, that have really leveraged the petrol convenience channel really well? Could you illuminate some of the examples of that to our listeners? Yes, yeah, certainly. Well, if you look at the, um, and at risk of um, offending some that I leave out. Um, well, you won't do that, It's certainly Jeff. not intentional. <laughs> it's, it's certainly <laughs> not intentional, uh, but I think it just highlights the, the differences. So, again, I'll, I'll go with 7-Eleven as a starting point. Uh, one of the true convenience chains, whilst there were, you know, milk bars and, and other people that uh, purported to be convenient, they brought the, the concept of convenience as I say to Australia back in 77. Uh, they are still the leading convenience store chain nationally. Um, in terms of continued innovation, in terms of store execution, in terms of standards, all of the things that as a business that you'd want to go right, um, I think they do a terrific job on. So that's at a national level. If you then look at various states in South Australia, you have On The Run, a very successful business who do it really well. They have a terrific reputation, both locally and even internationally. And then you have some smaller businesses on a regional level, the likes of APCO Petroleum in Victoria. I think they have somewhere around about 30 stores. Uh, but again, you know, the owners have travelled, they've looked overseas, they've seen what could be effective, they've come back and they've invested in their business. You know, they'd have a, a total convenience offer, if the demographics require it, they'd have an IGA Express as part of the store. They might have drive-through coffee. So they really have been innovative in the way that they've put the total offer together. So there's many examples. Yeah, we've seen Caltex invest in a foodery. We've seen BP uh, lift their offer in terms of food. All of the majors, to some degree, are lifting the benchmark in terms of convenience. And what about on the other side of the fence, uh, manufacturers that have really, you know, set the bar high? Look, that's a challenge. I think a lot of the manufacturers, um, many of them that have done that are 
unsung heroes because a lot of them actually provide uh, private brand products. So you could argue, um, and again, I'll, I'll use the example of 7-Eleven, given that I've quoted that one, the supplier of their 7-Eleven coffee or their 7-Eleven sandwiches or their 7-Eleven pastry, hot pastry range, you know, would be the manufacturers um, that actually are doing things differently um, as opposed to the, the branded manufacturers who, yes, they may give some of the groups um, a first go at a product before it's released. But by and large, uh, convenience tends to have a limited range of the larger range of products generally stocked in the, a major supermarket. So there's not a huge amount of products that are absolutely unique to convenience where we are the only place that you can get them. And do you feel that uh, having uh, products that are specifically uh, manufactured for the convenience channel specifically will will help that and, and, and grow that space? Again, if we look overseas, uh, Jamie, there's a huge move towards private brand type product. Yep. Um, if you look at 7-Eleven in Japan, which is the, the leading convenience store chain, around 70 to 80% of their product are actually their own brands. Mm. And if I look at what they're doing in the US, reading an article only in the last couple of weeks, they've released over 100 better for you products because the, the whole health um, uh, concept is growing uh, within our industry as it is in others under their own brand as well. So I think there's obviously the market for both. When customers come in, they obviously want to feel confident that if they're paying slightly more for a product, it is a product that they're familiar with and it either tastes good uh, or it's fit for purpose. So I think in our situation, we do need branded products in certain categories, but there's certainly an opportunity for private brands as well. And uh, I guess if there's any uh, listeners out there that uh, uh, in the manufacturing space, uh, that's what Mark and I do. We uh, provide uh, a lot of the manufacturers uh, uh, with uh, disruptive uh, and innovative uh, thinking. So, you know, from myself being from uh, 20 odd years in sales and convenience sales, Mark in, in product and innovation, um, certainly uh, uh, maybe Jeff, some of the uh, listeners might need to uh, get us to uh, have a bit of a chat with uh, the superior disruption models that we, we roll out and, and or even have a bit of a read of our weekly blog, which uh, talks all about innovation and, and particularly for this space because it's really has gone missing in the last few years. So, uh, no, I was going to say there's no doubt about that. It's all about innovation. It's about understanding the category and what drives the category. Absolutely. It's no longer milk, milk bread, newspapers the way that it used to be. It is changing dramatically. You know, we do research as well. We've done um, a, a report called Convenience 2020. We've done one called Convenience 2030, looking where the industry might be. We're just in the middle of doing a report, uh, a research report at the moment on the consumer's relationship with a convenience store, why they do use it, why they don't, what do they want to see in there. So again, I, I'm very happy for you know, listeners to make contact with me, very happy to have them as acts members because they can get a lot of value out of attending some of the events that we do reading the research and importantly understanding the channel to a greater degree could you give the listeners a bit of a snapshot of you know what 2030 looks like from a convenience point of view um, yeah look we originally when i joined acts in 2011 it wasn't really a blueprint in terms of what the industry might look like uh, every company obviously had their own vision. So we did 2020 and then in 2017, I said it was time to upgrade that um, and take a, a look further out. And it is a long way ahead. Obviously, many changes could happen. But if we look at what the, um, yeah, the basic premise of it was, uh, there were no number of themes coming through and I think they're still valid. The one was health, health and wellness, people looking for better for you type products, be it you know, food or beverages. Um, it was developing what, what came out of the researchers' terminology, terminology uh, which I really liked, and it was called a culinary culture. So a culture of food. You know, there's the old saying, you don't sell food, you serve food. And that's thinking that you know, needs to permeate through our industry. It was digital engagement, and I think we're seeing that through so many facets 
of our lives and also sustainability. You know, not being a mad greenie, but saying, how do you develop a sustainable business in so many different areas? It was also about becoming a convenience hub. Um, very important because there's um, you know, changes in terms of energy, uh, electric vehicles potentially, um, hydrogen fueled vehicles, who knows what's down the track you know, in a couple of years. But if we are that hub that people know they can come to, we can satisfy all of their needs for those different, um, be it energy sources, for their motor vehicles, or for themselves, be it food, beverages, and whatever else. Certainly things such as services was another one uh, that came through for the future. So things such as home delivery of products, uh, collecting products, uh, drive-through, yeah, many of those issues as well. So there were many concepts that came through looking at convenience both globally, talking to many of the experts, and also talking to consumers here about their potential needs. That's some great, uh, great insights there from you, Jeff. And uh, I can definitely testify to the uh, state of the industry uh, report that you launched last week, which was fantastic. It's a great insight. If, if some of the listeners don't uh, get access to it, definitely contact Jeff. And uh, it's, it's the way of the future and, and really understanding the convenience space. Um, and on a, a bit of a, a wrap up and a bit of a final note, Jeff, uh, mate, the next, the next steps, uh, what's for Jeff Rogert in your journey, do you see uh, in the coming uh, uh, 2020, 2030 uh, um, forecasts? Well, my, my local Tatslada agent tells me that uh, I have bought the winning ticket for this week. So if that happens, <laughs> um, all bets are off. <laughs> uh, no, look, life is never, never that simple. <laughs> you can't, you can't, it's not a lottery that you can when you've got to, you've got to actually work towards it. So we have a lot of work still to do um, you know, within the industry, certainly within the hacks. Um, we've just re-looked at our pillars. Our pillars are you know, advocacy, connection and knowledge. And you know, there's a lot that falls under, under each of those. So I think certainly for the next two to three years, we have enough on our plate with some of those challenges, some new training programs, uh, you know, future overseas study tours. We have a terrific one to the uh, west coast of the US this year. And then we'll be looking further afield as well. So it's continuing to try and add value to the industry. Uh, change of government, so you know, that means a whole lot of almost start again in so many senses. Um, a lot of work to do in that space as well. So never a dull moment. It's a, a terrific place to be. Uh, convenience is the way of the future, and it's just how we continue to add value to our members, to our customers, so that they can pass that on to their customers. Yes, mate, absolutely, and I mate, appreciate again uh, uh, your time today. And uh, Mark, um, just in closing, mate, anything that you want to run uh, run past Jeff uh, before we wrap up? No, I just uh, love love to thank Jeff. Because because uh, I remember our sort of sparring sessions from the past. It's uh, definitely uh, helped me along my journey. So thank you very much, Jeff. No, it's been a pleasure, Mark, and still do. Yeah, good to be able to uh, yeah to catch up and talk through these issues. As I said, when I was a buyer, I know I used to take a fairly tough line uh, with, with many <laughs> suppliers. Uh, but it's never personal. It's always about trying to do the best for you know, the company that employs you to do that deal. But at the end of it, you can still shake hands, walk away, and still talk to people in, in any other situation so now look I, I certainly value the you know support i've had from many people such as yourselves over the years and still being able to maintain that contact i think it's terrific mate uh, once again jeff uh thank you very much for your time thanks for your experience uh your insights and you know and even uh taking us on a, a little bit of a private and a personal journey uh with jeff rogert so mate all the very best to yeah to you and the axe guys and the and the board at axe and uh and let's see uh convenience i'm passionate about have been all my life uh, that's where i started and uh, uh if it wasn't for uh, uh an old friend of uh, mine and uh, peter uh, peter jowett uh, i wouldn't be in the uh, uh the situation and had the experience and the opportunity to work with and meet many of these leading uh, experts like yourself so uh, jeff mate really appreciate your time we'll catch up uh, in the next uh, few months i'm sure and um, hopefully the listeners got a lot out of that so uh, um, until next week, we'll speak soon. 
Well, that was a fantastic catch up with Jeff. Uh, he's a, he's a great guy to be able to listen to, and uh, uh, we really enjoyed that. And and so, Mark, uh, what were your key takeouts from today's uh, podcast? Look, Jamie, there was just a lot of rich insight in terms of the petrol convenience channel and, and management challenges, you know, overall. But probably the three that stood out for me were I love his emphasis on being the best, and and more particularly, you know, being the only. You know, I talked about, you know, how Bill Taylor wrote about this and simply brilliant. And I really think that if manufacturers and all of us can think about being the only, it'll do us a, lot, a world of good. I think stepping back to move forward and, and how, you know, not always you know, your big leap is the one that's in front of you, but how can you step back to catapult forward? And I, I really love being a foodie myself, probably too much food. I really love his emphasis that food is the future of petrol convenience, not necessarily technology. What about yourself? Mark, uh, I really enjoyed uh, hearing uh, the zigzag, uh, you know, career path that uh, that Jeff's had. And, um, you know, he really spoke about, um, you know, it's not just a, a straight up, uh, um, straight up the, uh, the ladder we go. It's all about time and it's all about opportunity. So those were two key um, pieces that he mentioned in, in you know, in, in your career path and how you get there. Certainly his personal disruption is a major connection as I, as I shared in the, in the podcast that, um, you know, I lost my auntie, uh, to, um, Hodgson lymphoma, which, uh, uh, was a, yeah, it's, it's a very personal challenge that Jeff would have gone through and to share that, um, as a very disruptive time of his life with us today was, uh, you know, I really appreciate his, uh, openness to be able to share that. And, you know, the final one would definitely be the innovation to the channel. Uh, it has, really dropped away um i don't know if it's because coles and woolies are, are just sucking you know the 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 energy and uh, you know the dollar corners you know everything out of the manufacturers but they really do need to get back to um you know allowing the petrol and convenience channel to regrow and and be innovative by 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 listening to you know people like Jeff and, 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 and how that we can get to the consumers, which is you know, more a, a convenience pack size. So, you know, with all of that, mate, I, I really want to thank uh, our guest uh, today, Mr. Jeff Rogert. Uh, we couldn't have done it without the production expertise of young Blake Labina. And many thanks goes to our creative partner, Ant May from Ant Designs uh, here in Sydney, Sydney's leading uh, digital agency and website providers. So next we'll be hearing from uh, another Australian leading sales icon and uh, I'm not going to give away who it is right at the moment, but uh, um, definitely has, has held uh, a few uh, um, a few different roles at, uh, on both sides of the fence. So uh, uh, really looking forward to that. Well, I am too, mate. So till next week. <laughs>